How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and REI. Today, we are going to dive in to talk about PCOS, managing PCOS, getting treatment, not getting treatment, what it is I want you to know if you have this diagnosis or if you think that you might. Because PCOS falls into the category as a chronic illness I know that sounds really overwhelming, but if you view it that way, you can manage it that way. And instead of it being something that you're constantly fighting against, it's something that you can learn to live with and still have really optimal health and a great life. And it doesn't have to hold you back from any of your goals. But just like with anything else, you have got to make yourself a priority and make understanding your body a goal. So that's what we're here to do today. Before we dive in, a few housekeeping items. Number one, I'm so thankful for all of you. This podcast, truly, every time I run into somebody who tells me they listen or it helped them, it means so much to me because when you record in your bedroom by yourself, you really just don't see the impact that it can have. So I appreciate you and all of y'all sharing it in your infertility groups. I see you and I love you. I have a newsletter you can sign up for at nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. The newsletter is going to talk about fertility in the news. It's going to answer fertility questions. It's going to have my favorite recipes, updates, just keeping you up to date with things that are going on. So feel free to go and sign up if you have not, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Also, every episode, we answer some of your fertility questions at the end. Those questions come from Instagram. So you can ask your questions at Natalie Crawford MD every single Monday. Put them in the question box. Some will actually go in the newsletter. Some will be here on the podcast. And some will be answered right there on Instagram. And my very, very, very favorite episodes ever are the ones where you call and leave a voicemail asking your question. So call and leave more so we can do more of those. That number is 657 
657-229-3672. Again, that number is 657-229-3672. All right, friends, well, let's jump into talking about PCOS. It's been a little while since I did a PCOS episode, but I will tell you that I talk about PCOS in my office almost every single day. That's how common it is. That is how often people with PCOS end up in front of me, a fertility doctor. That does not mean that everybody does, but so often when we start counseling about PCOS, it falls into the category of, I wish somebody had told me this. I had no idea I had this. I've known I had this and somebody just gave me birth control pills. Why did nobody tell me it would be hard to get pregnant or tell me all these other things or even explain the disease to me? And I'm not saying that birth control pills are wrong. They have a place and they can make some people, they can change their life and other people hate them. That's neither here nor there. The real problem is not being allowed the opportunity to understand the diagnosis that you have or the disease you have, therefore not able to manage your life in that way. In order to understand PCOS, we have to think about how the ovary normally works to understand what is going on in PCOS. So remember, I like to use the analogy that inside the ovary is a vault where all your eggs are kept. When you're born, that vault is full. Throughout your life, eggs come out of the vault, and when the vault is empty, you're in menopause. Every month, you have a group of eggs released from the vault, and this actually starts happening from the time when you are a baby inside your mom. You have about six to seven million eggs when you are a 20-week fetus inside your mom, You have about 1 to 2 million when you're born. That's the greatest decline in egg number that you are going to have in such a short period of time. And the reason why is as that vault is more full, more eggs are being released every month. And once the eggs are released, they are released. They are either going to ovulate or die or be stimulated by IVF or egg freezing medications. But in general, You can't save them for the future in the body anymore. So when the vault is more full, it sends out more eggs per month. And as you get closer to ovarian failure, that vault sends out less eggs per month. Now, each egg is microscopic, but it grows inside a fluid-filled structure called a follicle. And what is going to happen is once you start puberty, see, puberty isn't just starting to have a period like we think about. Puberty is when the brain turns on. It is when the brain matures and now the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis is intact because the ovaries have been doing their thing the whole time, sending a group of eggs, each egg inside a follicle outside the vault. The brain was what was not mature enough to do anything. When you hit puberty and this axis turns on, now the pituitary gland is going to send out FSH follicle-stimulating hormone, and this FSH is going to stimulate one of these follicles to grow. As that follicle grows, it's going to make estrogen as the egg is maturing. That estrogen is going to stimulate the lining of the uterus. After your brain has seen enough of it, it'll send out an LH surge, which will cause you to ovulate. That follicle will then rupture, release the egg, and then the follicle will reform and become the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum makes progesterone in the second half of the cycle or the luteal phase. The corpus luteum makes progesterone stimulated also by the pituitary gland, but by a hormone called LH, which stands for luteinizing hormone. 
And LH is sent out in pulses after that initial spike. So progesterone levels are fluctuating throughout that entire luteal phase. And anything from 3 to 40 is all normal. But that's the only time you see progesterone. So the first half of your cycle, the follicular phase, you are growing a follicle, you are making estrogen, you are estrogen dominant, there is no progesterone around. Normal. This is when you feel good. This is when your estrogen is high, you've got a lot of concentration, energy, you can get things done on your to-do list, your sex drive is up, ultimately feeling great. Then you hit ovulation, you're feeling kind of spicy, But then afterward, once that corpus luteum starts making progesterone and you've entered the luteal phase, this is progestation. Progesterone is the progestational hormone. It is preparing you for a pregnancy. And what does your body want you to do if you're going to carry another human being? It would prefer you sit down, rest, eat some food, get some sleep. And that's what progesterone does. It's a little bit sedating. You don't have as much energy. You are now hungrier. You're retaining a little bit of water and weight. All of these things that happen in the second part of the cycle. And then when that corpus luteum dies, your progesterone will drop. And that withdrawal of progesterone tells the uterus, we did not get pregnant this month, friends. Let's have a bleed. And the process starts all over again. All right, so that's what's happening normally if somebody's not on hormonal contraception and they are ovulating regularly. It is a typical cycle, and when we talk about your cycle length, we are talking about from day one until the day before the next period. Normal can vary person to person, anywhere from 25 to 35 days, but it should be relatively consistent for you. So if it's 25 days one month and 32 the next and 28 the next and then it's 36 the next, even though that is falling within that range, that is not regular. That could be a sign something is up. And how I describe irregular periods are not having a predictable, reliable period. If I can look at a calendar and put my hand down, and within relative reason, mark when my period's coming within a couple days, great. If I'm within a couple weeks, that's not regular. If you have no period, that's not regular. I've had somebody answer no to the, do you have irregular periods question, because they have absent periods. Absent periods are not normal also. So when you just think about it, I want us to think through that's the normal cycle because that's going to help us understand PCOS and understanding something is essential for managing it. So that's the norm. What is happening in PCOS? We know that the mother's environment when she is pregnant is a large contributor to what happens if the female child is at risk to develop PCOS. So there is some programming that happens to the ovary when you're in your mother's womb, exposures, things you're exposed to that are going to determine your risk for PCOS. Because at its core, at its very core, PCOS is a metabolic dysfunction of the ovaries due to the fact that the ovary 
has a lot of follicles being released every month. So if we think about the vault being full, let's say something happened when you were a baby, you are now born, your vault has more eggs than it is supposed to. So what does your ovary do? It gets rid of more. Remember when the ovary is more full, it sends out more per month. And when the ovary is less full, it sends out fewer per month. Now the ovary is sending out more. Okay, the brain and the ovary, I always say are best friends, but they live in different states, and this was before the invention of cell phones, so they can't FaceTime, they have no idea what the other one looks like. So what is happening? The brain is sending out its normal amount of FSH, has no idea what's happening at the ovary. That normal amount of FSH is getting diluted because there's now so many follicles. It is not a strong enough signal to get one egg to start growing and ovulate reliably by cycle day 12 to 14 like we might normally see. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual is essential for women 18 and plus, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence. So every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. So what happens? It might take longer duration of FSH for one egg to see enough to really start growing towards maturity. So we have an extended follicular phase while our body is waiting for these eggs to respond. And now the ovary, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, the ovary is a hormone-making factory. That, that's its job. Its job is to make hormones, not eggs. Eggs are a byproduct of the hormone-making process loves to make hormones and its favorite, favorite hormone is estrogen. It can only make estrogen when you're growing an egg. So if that follicle is not responding because the FSH signal is not strong enough to get an egg to respond, then you're not making estrogen and your hormone making factory is so bored. What's it going to do? 
it's going to make testosterone. So the signal from LH down to the ovary can also stimulate testosterone production. And that pathway does not get inhibited by number of follicles. And in fact, it gets a lot of positive feedback. So the ovary says, I don't know what's happening. We're not making any estrogen over there, but we're going to start making some testosterone over here. So LH to the testosterone pathway starts getting upregulated, booming out testosterone. This is going to make the process worse. So now what's going to happen is that you are going to have testosterone symptoms. And some of these can include acne, hair growth, like facial hair growth, or hair loss, like male pattern balding, like temporal hair loss or hair thinning. You can also have more abdominal weight gain versus if you think about the woman shape, you might think about weight distribution on your butt and hips and thighs area and a smaller waist. But with testosterone, you have more of that male body fat distribution. Think, you know, beer belly, abdominal fat. And that doesn't mean that you're fat, but it means that's where your body is putting that fat. And then high testosterone in the female body is going to predispose you to these other metabolic derangements that we see with PCOS, insulin resistance, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and it starts going down this whole pathway. And if you think about what is metabolic syndrome, if you've heard of that, in metabolic syndrome, you have an increased abdominal circumference, you have high lipids, and you have a low level of your good cholesterol and high bad cholesterol. You have increased insulin resistance, high glucose levels, you have high blood pressure, and high triglycerides. And this metabolic dysfunction puts you at other risks like heart disease and heart attacks, which are terrible. And so a third, one third of people with PCOS have metabolic syndrome. That's terrible. So we know this metabolic component of PCOS is real. I do not like nor believe that it is diabetes of the ovary. So if you've heard that on social media, just cross a line through that one. But you can see that the ovary now is not functioning correctly, leading to these other problems. To make it more complicated, and then we're going to talk about management of it, a couple other things to mention. One is that at its heart, I always say PCOS is an ovarian dysfunction issue. There are stages of ovulatory defect, and that's partially why the disease can present so differently. Being overweight, which yes, can come from the disease itself, but fat cells make estrogen, and this also makes the disease compound on itself. Because let's say you have PCOS, and you're not ovulating, and you gain some of that abdominal weight, and now you have more fat cells. Those fat cells also make an estrogen, and it's a different type of estrogen but the brain doesn't know that. And your brain sees some estrogen being made, assumes it's from its best friend, the ovary. And so it dampers its signal of FSH. It sends out less because it thinks an egg is already growing because that is how you have the check and balance of the brain and the ovary in order to not ovulate six eggs at one time and have litters of children. So the brain says, oh, an egg must be already growing. I'm going to send out a little bit less FSH so that we don't have multiples. But really that estrogen is not from an egg. It's from those extra fat cells and your brain is sending out less FSH, less likely to ovulate. Now your follicular phase is longer. Now your ovarian dysfunction is getting worse and the pathway to T gets higher. And this is why obesity alone can mimic PCOS because you can get some of the downstream impacts and we'll see this clinically. Somebody who does have a 
very high fat level in their body, has some ovarian dysfunction, and sometimes it's PCOS and what I just described, and sometimes it's chronic anovulation from obesity or a combination, meaning they have a PCOS-like phenomenon from the metabolic symptoms, some of the higher T, but it's all reverse engineered from the high estrogen being the root of the problem versus truly having an ovarian issue. And then oftentimes it's both because PCOS is common. This is why you hear so many different things when it comes to managing PCOS because there's a lot of obesity overall. And so when you try to group people with PCOS to study, you have some people who have normal amount of body fat, some people who have high levels, and some people who have low levels, and they all have PCOS. And if they're all in the same study, things are going to impact them differently. This is why the first thing you're going to hear over and over is lose weight can help you ovulate. What? Why does losing weight help me ovulate? For the reason I just described. If you lose 10 pounds of body weight, that 10 pounds of fat cells is a whole lot, so good job. But that is going to cause there to be less estrogen made from the fat cells and your brain can tell. And it says, oh my gosh, there's less estrogen being made. We must not have an egg growing, I'm going to send out more FSH. And this FSH downstream gets your ovary to respond in a more normal fashion, ovulate closer to time, and therefore the ovary has less time and energy to make some of this other stuff. It's not going to make as much tea because now it's busy making estrogen. The tea and the estrogen factories are not going to both be turned on at one time. Okay. So if we turn the estrogen one on, the tea factory is shut down. Okay, so when it comes to managing PCOS, if you are overweight, this is why losing weight can be helpful, okay? It does not mean that everybody with PCOS needs to lose weight, but this is why it can help for some people with PCOS. Now, how do you lose weight or what's going to work the best? In general, if you think about this syndrome that I just described, right, because a syndrome is a constellation of symptoms and that's what PCOS is and it presents differently in every person. When you think about this constellation of symptoms, the brain is crucial, right friends? It is really trying hard to interpret these signals from the ovary that it doesn't feel like it's getting strong enough signals and it has to respond appropriately to it. And the longer it's exposed to a bad signal, the more dysfunctional the brain's going to be as well. And the brain does a lot more than just control the ovary. It is interpreting endocrine signals from throughout the whole body. It is filtering out how you are. And this is why certain things that can stress the body tend to be seeing more of an impact in PCOS patients. Meaning I always think people with PCOS are more sensitive to stressors. They have a harder time physically coping with stress. And I will have patients tell me that when something stressful happens, they just physically feel exhausted if they have PCOS. And so I always say PCOS is like your hormones are on a teeter-totter and you're really trying to find that place where everybody, it's funny, is balanced, right? The word we all hate as OBGYNs is balancing your hormones because they're constantly in flux. But with PCOS, that's what you're trying to do. Find that place where your brain and your ovary are in harmony. But what happens is when stressful things happen and you have more cortisol coming from the adrenal glands, the brain is going to freak out much more than it might in somebody who doesn't have PCOS, therefore worsening the disease. And I see this clinically in patients who are doing everything right. They're good body weight. They're eating healthy. They're exercising. They're getting good sleep and something stressful will happen in their life. And it throws the teeter totter off. 
and their periods are gone and their PCOS symptoms are getting worse. And that's understanding part of your disease because then instead of compounding that stress, you're like, oh, okay, well, I had this really stressful event happen. I knew that this might happen. Now I'm going to have some coping mechanisms for it. So managing stress is really important. So let's just go through what I tell my PCO patients and what I think you should know if you have the disease. Because weight loss and weight gain can also be stressful times for the body, right? A profound acute weight loss. The brain doesn't know that's because you're trying to lose weight. It might think there's a famine and there's no food and that that'd be a bad time to get pregnant. So we want to be mindful in how we do things. And that's why starvation diets, extreme calorie restrictions tend not to be ideal, especially for patients with PCOS who are sensitive to stress. I will say I've had recently patients with PCOS have more success on Ozempic and Manjaro, probably part of how the medications work when it comes to metabolic syndrome. And they've been able to make more long-term weight loss change without the typical rebound. Because typically what we see is a really low calorie deficit and patients kind of starve themselves, lose some weight, and then they rebound and they gain it back and they gain even more. This is why trying to lose weight in a healthy way with medical assistance sometimes is needed. Meaning, yes, you do need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight, but 1,400 calories is way different than 700 calories. And depending on you and your height and your body, you're going to need a different number. You should view weight loss as something that you're just trying to do for optimal health. You should not go full-on starvation unless somebody is telling you to. I like intermittent fasting personally. For a lot of my PCOS patients, it's not mandatory, but I do find that it gives their body a nice break. People with insulin resistance tend to respond nicely to it. I like the book, The Obesity Code, and I've had a lot of PCOS patients read it who do struggle with weight and it has been helpful. But the point here is intermittent fasting is taking a purposeful break in the time periods where you are eating, therefore allowing your body to not constantly be making insulin in response to food. When you have a greater fasting period, your cells then will not see insulin and they'll become more sensitive to it, therefore respond better. And then that can ultimately help you. The fasting interval usually everybody's is different. I typically say have a 10 hour eating window and then try to move it down to an eight hour. But ultimately you have to do what's right for you. But I say intermittent fasting can be an option, at least something to try. If you are overweight, see a doctor and talk about other weight loss medications. I'm obviously not a weight loss doctor. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. 
Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. But we do know the same with those stressors is that the body is really sensitive to environmental chemicals and other substances, and we see that in studies as well. So when that happens, what that means is that we really do not want to be taking in foods that are going to stress our body out. Anything that is fake is going to cause an inflammatory response. And there's a lot of inflammation already when it comes to insulin resistance and the metabolic side of PCOS. And there's a lot of inflammation if there's any extra fat cells. So anything that we intake, like the Ben and Jerry's ice cream, which I love their vegan fish food version, so don't come at me, but you go and you eat it, your body is going to respond differently to it. That's going to cause some inflammation. And that's okay to have it here and there. But if you're having stuff like that all the time, that is compounding the stress of your body, causing more inflammation. And inflammation is toxic to reproduction. So we want to be filling our diet with whole foods, fruits, veggies, whole grains. You do not need to go avoid whole food groups. When it comes to ovulation, There was a study, the nurse's health study, big dietary study, and it did show people with PCOS ovulated more, the more servings of vegetable-based protein that they had. So this is my diet. This is the Natalie diet for people with PCOS, and you do you, boo, but this is what I say. Monday, meatless Monday, okay? The rest of the week, have meat, animal-based meat, one time per day. You can choose, is it breakfast, is it dinner, one time per day. Red meat, because red meat does usually harbor a lot of extraneous hormones and chemicals one time per week. We want to try to have fish or seafood two to three times in that meat range. You don't have to have meat, but if you're a meat eater, which most of America is, by doing that, cutting it back, you are going to be forced to fill your diet with more fruits and vegetables than you normally eat. The other thing is that when it comes to dairy, same study also showed that high fat dairy, like your real dairy, is much better for you than the skim. And we grew up in the fat phobic industry, right? At least if you're my age, where anything full fat was bad and low fat was much better. But you're processing the food. If you're taking milk and you're removing the fat from it, how's it going to stay milk? You got to put some stuff in it. And so There was higher rates of ovulation when women had full-fat dairy over low-fat. So not everybody needs dairy, but if you like dairy and you love your cheese, have the full-fat version. Don't have the skim version. And then your highly processed foods, your processed red meats, your hot dogs, your salamis, that's a carcinogen. Do not have. 
Your highly processed sugars, your refined carbohydrates are all going to cause insulin spikes and they're going to be worse for people with PCOS than the average person because you already have this ovary situation happening. So sparingly, sparingly, okay, doesn't mean never, but sparingly. Same thing with getting like boozy, boozy drunk all the time. That's a huge inflammatory response. It's a lot of inflammation. It's a lot of stress for your body. Having a drink here and there is different than getting boozy drunk all the time. And if you're trying to get your body to respond in the best way possible, get your teeter-totter as balanced as you can, we need to be treating your body kindly. I also say I have patients who do everything right, if I'm putting right in quotes, and they don't ovulate on their own. That's not always the goal, but I want you to shift the goal to be to minimize the negative metabolic impact of the ovary. And we would love it if that would reverse into we ovulate on our own. Ovulatory dysfunction is on a spectrum and some people are going to ovulate when they make some changes and some people are not no matter what. And a lot of this is not under your control. It's about how many eggs are in the vault, how many are sent out each month. The higher your AMH is, the more eggs that you have coming out of the vault because AMH is a hormone made from all of the eggs outside the vault. In a normal person under age 35, an AMH is going to be about two to four. In somebody with PCOS, it's going to be 4.5 or higher. And I've seen values of 8, 15, 21, 27, high, high numbers. Those people, when your AMH, the higher it gets, the less likely you are to ovulate on your own in a regular, reliable fashion, no matter what you do. So it's not a failure. Some of the social media PCOS culture will act like it's a failure if you can't control your PCOS and get yourself to ovulate on your own. And it's not, right? Every little step that you make in this healthier way is going to help you. And if you end up ovulating on your own, fantastic. If you don't, it's not a failure, but because you made those changes, you're going to respond better to medications when we are trying to help you get pregnant if you want to get pregnant. All right. In addition to eating, Avoiding chemicals, you know, avoiding your plastics, your BPA, your Teflon, those type of things. High up here is going to be sleep. Sleep is when cellular repair happens. Sleep is going to be essential. If you have PCOS, stop acting like you have to sacrifice your sleep to hustle in the girl boss hustle world. Seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. That's what you need. When it comes to exercise, okay, this has been such a hot debate in the PCOS world. HIIT exercise, high-intensity interval training, has been shown to be helpful if you're trying to lose weight with PCOS, as it has been shown to be helpful if you're trying to lose weight and you're a human being, okay? So if our goal is weight loss, yay. If our goal is trying to get pregnant or have balanced hormones, then exercising and moving your body is good, but likely doing more moderate-based activity, especially weight training, is going to be more beneficial because increasing muscle and having more muscle is going to be also helpful in helping with your metabolic dysfunction. So I always say, what's your goal? If you are trying to lose weight, adding in hit work can be helpful. If you are not trying to lose weight per se, then it's more moderate cardio, but really weights trying to build and strengthen your muscle is what's going to be the most helpful for you. So it's not that either is bad and in the end all, 
exercising your body is so, so good. Please carve out 20 to 30 minutes a day. You are worth it. I know it can be hard. Figure out your time. I am a morning girl or it does not happen. You might be an evening girl. I don't care, but make it happen. Whatever you do, a walk around the block, a yoga class, a Peloton ride, it doesn't matter, honestly. But don't go all out like, oh, I need to do HIIT, I have to do it, especially if you feel bad. A lot of high-intensity interval training can be stressful to the body. And then other stress reduction techniques in addition to exercise and sleeping, acupuncture, if you like it, therapy, meditation, walking with the birds outside, yoga, there's so many But you need to have something carved out to help you have that ah, moment. And acupuncture can be a great option because it's on your schedule and you're paying for it. So you're going to show up and set down your phone and be present. A lot of people can get the same benefit from meditation in their home if they can have a nice quiet spot. Some people, their home is not conducive to that. So you need to have a little bit of insight to you and to see how you respond and what you respond to and make sure that you are doing something to take care of you. All right. So we've talked about the basic lifestyle-wise management things, but when it comes to trying to get pregnant or trying to manage your cycles and you're not pregnant, when it comes to trying to get pregnant, if you are living your healthiest life and you're not ovulating or you have these irregular periods, you are going to have a lower chance of getting pregnant. It doesn't mean it's zero. If you are having periods and you are ovulating, you can get pregnant when you ovulate. But if your cycles are really spaced out and they're every 45 to 60 days, you have fewer opportunities and it's going to take you longer. And that means that especially if you want multiple kids, you might need intervention sooner. You might want to make sure all the other parts are working well, but typically kind of step one is going to be oral ovulation induction agents. These medications are Clomid and Letrozole. I have whole episode talking about these, but when you have Clomid and Letrozole, they both work a little bit differently, but essentially by telling the brain to send out more FSH. So we think back to the root of the problem is the brain is sending out too low of an FSH level for the number of follicles that you have in the ovary. If I come in and tell the brain to send more FSH, boom, hopefully that can be enough to stimulate a follicle to grow. It's indirect. Clomid binds to receptors in the brain to tell the brain there's zero estrogen, so it sends out FSH. Letrozole eats up estrogen in your periphery. Brain notices the decrease and sends out a signal of FSH. Both medications have a risk of multiples because I don't know how much FSH your body needs to get one egg to grow or how much your brain will release. So typically it's about a five to 8% chance of twins and a one in 300 chance of triplets. Not everybody will respond. Some people will over respond. Some people won't respond to lower doses and you have to stair step it up. Okay. If you ovulate, so step one with these medications is you'll use them for usually about five days. Try to track ovulation either with ultrasound, ovulation predictor kits, BBT cervical mucus, or progesterone luteal levels. If you respond and you ovulate and you don't get pregnant, that's okay, right? Max fecundability based on your age is about 20 to 25% per month. But then you're going to try this a few times. And people with PCOS can graduate to unexplained infertility once we've made them ovulate a numerous times and you're still not getting pregnant and your tubes are open and the sperm is fine is something else going on. But generally that's where we start. So ovulation induction plus minus an IUI. I'm a big believer in a semen analysis before you do ovulation induction because it's going to be real frustrating if you find out 
six months down the road that there's no sperm. So want to make sure there's sperm. If the sperm is mildly abnormal, you often can add in an IUI instead of just having timed intercourse. All right. So some pills with relatively few side effects, monitoring for ovulation, timed intercourse. A lot of us give progesterone in the luteal phase, try to make you ovulate, help you get pregnant. IVF is another option. And a lot of patients with PCOS, especially if you have a high AMH level, you're going to need IVF and that's okay. But if that is you, then know that so that you can do IVF sooner because the younger you are when you do it, the higher the odds of success. The good news, if you have PCOS and you end up needing or doing IVF or freezing your eggs, your odds of the end result being what you want, having a baby, very, very high. Let's say you aren't wanting to get pregnant right now. Okay. So the greatest risk of PCOS, and I always view the world in risks. If I'm a doctor and you're my patient, I want to prevent the worst thing from happening. If we think about the uterus and let's just imagine it's a cup. Okay. The uterus is a cup. And when you are growing a follicle and your estrogen is on, the faucet's turned on. So water is filling up the cup. When you ovulate, the faucet is turned off. That's your progesterone. Progesterone prevents the cup from being filled up. It doesn't empty the cup, but it prevents it from being filled. And then when you're not pregnant and your progesterone drops, that's the signal to turn over the cup, dump everything out, put it back under the faucet. And then as you start growing another egg, you turn the faucet back on. When you have PCOS and you're not in this ovulatory pattern consistently, it's almost like having the faucet on drip. Okay. So your cup is filling up at some point. And that's because all of those follicles, remember each follicle makes a little bit of estrogen. That's why those more follicles damper the brain signal. Each follicle makes a little bit of estrogen, not those high levels, but a teeny amount. So the faucet's on drip. When you don't have progesterone, you're never turning off the faucet. So if you don't ovulate, there's no progesterone. The cup is still going to run over. You're going to bleed. It's going to be less organized. It might be darker. It might be heavy. It might go on for eternity. It might be spotty. Your cup's going to fill over. So people with PCOS can still have bleeds that are not an ovulatory bleed. It can just be a, the cup got too full bleed. But the problem here is that I'm not dumping it out and the cells at the bottom of the cup are just sitting there, right? I'm overflowing from the top. And this is important because if this is happening in your uterus, those cells at the bottom can turn into cancer. Endometrial cancer is probably what most people will tell you is one of the most severe complications we see from PCOS. This is because if you're never bleeding, but you have estrogen being made, you are stimulating endometrial growth and those cells will become abnormal. Nobody wants cancer. This is why having progesterone, right, turning off the faucet and then forcing somebody to bleed can be a treatment strategy. Okay, the birth control pill does this because it provides a daily progesterone, right? So you go on the pill, you're not going to get endometrial cancer. Other benefits of the pill for people with PCOS is that because of how the pill is metabolized, it increases something called sex hormone binding globulin, which goes and binds testosterone. And if we think back to how the ovary was working, having that testosterone caused some of these symptoms like your acne. If you have acne or hair growth can be a really bad thing for people with PCOS. So it's not a failure to go on birth control pills to drop your tea and help your skin. You can also go on spironolactone, which also decreases testosterone, but works best in conjunction with birth control pills. And that's often a management that many dermatologists will use for really bad androgen-based acne. Now, you don't have to be on the birth control pill. Other options though, what's my worst? Uterine cancer. So you've got to bleed at some point. This can be daily progesterone, 
Most people don't love that, to be fair, but it can be easy. It can be an IUD, right? A progesterone IUD, like a Mirena or a Kylina, is going to give that uterus daily progesterone. So you're not going to get endometrial cancer in those cases, and you don't have to think about it. It can also be cyclic progesterone. So a lot of times we give a medication called Provera or Prometrium, and this is progesterone, and you give it for a little burst. So you take it for 10 days, and you turn off the fountain, and then when you don't see it anymore, that's the body signal to dump the cup and have a period. When this is happening and you take this progesterone, you're going to bleed after you stop it. Yay, you're not going to get cancer. That's not an ovulatory bleed. That's not causing you to ovulate. That's not helping you get pregnant. And I see a lot of people get put on progesterone, even daily progesterone, blow my mind, and somebody tells them it's going to help them get pregnant because they were estrogen dominant and that was their problem. Okay, so estrogen dominant, again, everybody should be in the follicular phase. If you have an extended follicular phase because you have PCOS, yes, you need some progesterone, but not everybody's going to have progesterone every single day. And if you take progesterone every single day, you're essentially taking birth control pills because progesterone opens and closes the implantation window. So if you've been seeing extra proj, you're not going to get pregnant even if you could because you're taking proj at the wrong time. Long-winded to say, if you want to be pregnant and you're not ready to go try fertility treatments or try ovulation induction and your doctor tells you here's some progesterone you can take because you need to have a period. I don't want you to get uterine cancer so they're not wrong but typically what we do in this circumstance is have you take seven to ten days of progesterone every two to three months. Take a pregnancy test first. If you're not pregnant, take your burst of progesterone and get a bleed. If you have very irregular periods, maybe you get a random ovulation in between there but then we know that you're bleeding. If you're naturally bleeding every two to three months, you're pretty fine. We really do get worried about the people who have three month or greater intervals between periods. So period management is all about preventing endometrial cancer. Now, if we think about the metabolic issues of the ovary, so we have weight loss as an option. We also have medications like inositol and metformin, and they both have a place in the PCOS world. In fact, metformin alone for PCOS patients does cause some people to ovulate because metformin can work at the ovary and decrease testosterone production and can help reverse some of the symptoms. Metformin has some side effects that are less pleasant, but some people tolerate it great. Metformin has been shown to have some other benefits in the anti-aging world, so I might give it a try if my doctor suggested it to me to see how it would go. Inositol works similarly, can help with insulin resistance, much better tolerated, and that's something that I usually recommend for all of my PCOS patients. So for my patients with PCOS, prenatal vitamin with folic acid, vitamin D. A lot of patients with PCOS are vitamin D deficient and inositol daily. So that's kind of my little PCOS cocktail for my patients. So you might try some of those medications for some of the metabolic symptoms, even if you're not trying to get pregnant and that's okay. Remember that with PCOS, you're going to ovulate before you get a period. So you can't presume to know that your body is oh, I'm not going to get pregnant for sure. People with PCOS can surprise get pregnant. And if you don't want to be pregnant, you should be preventing a pregnancy. Birth control pills are not a failure for PCOS. I really hate that the social media culture has told us that. I've had so many patients have their life changed with the birth control pill, control acne and T symptoms, make their periods, not have to worry about getting cancer. Oh my gosh. And then when you come off the pill, very often because your T levels are lower, you're going to respond better to treatments. So the classic, and the last thing I'll say here is that when people say the pill caused PCOS, it didn't. But what happened is when you stopped the pill, 
now your testosterone is going to start rising because it's what it's been doing. Just the pill has been binding it. So now your metabolic issues from the ovary are just going to be seen more. Most people, when they stop the pill, might have a period or two, and then they start to space out as those metabolic components get worse. The pill does not cause PCOS. There's just no way that it does. However, because you're getting daily estrogen and progesterone, because you have the sex hormone binding globulin binding, the T, suddenly you don't see the PCOS symptoms. When you come off the pill, the longer you go and suddenly they start to see, now you might say, oh my gosh, I have this problem that I never had. Especially if you were placed on the pill really young or as a teenager, never really had many periods, and now suddenly you stop the pill. It's natural to say the pill cause this. But I do think it's important to know that the pill doesn't. The pill does have other side effects, and I'm not saying it's for everybody, but we should be allowed to evaluate the choices out there for us. Cancer is a big deal. It is at higher risk for patients with PCOS. Metabolic syndrome is a big deal. Infertility is a big deal. So these downstream consequences can be serious. And if you have PCOS, you deserve to understand how to manage it. So lifestyle managing it, being at a healthy weight, having a diet full of whole foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, full fat dairy, more vegetable-based protein sources, high protein diets are overall good, meaning you do want to incorporate healthy levels of protein because that does help with insulin resistance, weight training exercise, getting good sleep, managing your stress, avoiding toxins and chemicals, and paying attention to your period pattern, and at least knowing about some of these consequences so that you're not somebody who's just not having a period, and then suddenly you have endometrial cancer or something else that we could have prevented. Okay, well, we went on so long that we are not going to have a Q&A in this episode. Again, remember that you can ask your questions Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, or you can call in 657-229-3672. Hope this episode helped you learn a little bit more about PCOS and understanding some of the reasons and why the disease presents the way that it does, the differences, and how you can try to manage it for what you can do. Many people with PCOS will need to see a fertility doctor to get pregnant. That's not a failure. That's why we're here. It is perfectly fine, even if you do everything right. So please give yourself some grace. Again, thank you friends so much for all your support and I will see you next week. Thanks friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.